We're uh, week two of three in looking at what does hospitality look like. Uh, our new focus for 2020 is on the wall. You can see that if you've been with us. You've, you've heard us speaking into that throughout February. And it's this idea of if we're going to enlarge our house and spread out our home, hospitality is a part of that. And uh, I just want to sit in a passage today um, and see what God wants to speak to us out of that. And as this passage, you're very familiar with it. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said this to the people who were following him. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he brings another picture and he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Enlarge your house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to spend a bit of time in this this morning. And as I was preparing this, I, I just had a sense of saying, God, well, what do you want this to be about today? And I had a really clear prompting that I need to explore how does my hospitality reflect that I'm a follower of Jesus? How does my hospitality reflect that I am a follower of Jesus? Because if you've been around the church long enough and you've heard enough sermons, we get this sense that what Jesus said and what he called us to are not optional extras. We often treat them like optional extras. Jesus calls us to forgive, but if I don't feel like forgiving, I'm just not going to. But he calls us to be salt and he calls us to be light and they're not optional extras. Jeff spoke two weeks ago and Kev spoke last week and both of them mentioned this idea that the word hospitality from the original Greek that we have in English hospitality comes from this idea of, of a Greek word which means the love of the stranger. If you haven't heard those messages, can I encourage you to go back onto the, onto the website, onto the podcast and check out the last few messages because it really sets us up well for where we are. And it's love of stranger or, or love of outsiders. There's a pastor in Texas of the Village Church. His name is Matt Chandler. You may have heard of Matt Chandler. I was reading something of his this week and he says this, Hospitality might sound unexciting or initially confusing, but when the Bible speaks of hospitality, it almost always ties it with aliens and strangers. Now we're not talking aliens from other planets, we're just saying people who aren't part of us. Aliens and strangers, people who aren't like us, he says. And then he says this, and I really resonated with this, he says, If I had to come up with a biblical definition for hospitality... I would say it means giving loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. I like the practicality of that. 
giving loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. It's opening your life and your house to those who believe or look differently than you do. I like that. So I want to do something just to set us up. I want to look at three types of hospitality we see in the Scriptures. So the first one I want to look at, there's this story at the end of the book of Acts where Paul is on a ship and they encounter a big storm and they are shipwrecked. And Paul and some of the people on the ship get thrown into the sea and they get washed up on an island called Malta. And when we look at this passage, look at what Paul says. He says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Complete strangers, they're washed up literally on their island and their response is, we're going to welcome you, we're going to feed you, we're going to warm you, we're going to care for you. And then he goes on to say there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius and, and the chief, who was the chief official of the island and he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Now the thing that strikes me about this is these people living on the island of Malta had nothing to do with Christianity. They were not Christians. They were not doing this because Jesus had instructed them to. But there's a sense that, that people are able to step in and look after and care for the complete stranger. I like that picture. Later on, Paul is giving us uh, instruction that we can read in the letter that he wrote to the Roman church. And he's talking about to the Roman church in chapter 12 um, about how they are to connect one another in their church community, whether the people coming into their community are believers or not. And here's some things that are probably familiar to you, but he says this, love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. All of that is about the Christian community. And then a separate sentence, he says, practice hospitality. And it's a separate sentence because in the Greek, the people hearing that know that the hospitality he's talking about here is about the outsider, the stranger. So here's a way to look after the people who are in our church community. And it's a lot of those one another's, love one another, bear with one another, support one another, but also be hospitable, practice hospitality. If we only care for and look after and spend time with those who are part of the Christian circle, we become a holy huddle which is completely irrelevant to the world around us. That's not what we're called to be. It's not what we're called to do. And then John, the Apostle John, wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the book of Revelation, wrote three little letters. And in one of those letters, the third one, here is John writing to a church that he is fond of, a church that he knows, and he's encouraging that church to be hospitable to people who are strangers to them, but they are people that are part of the church, the wider church. So in our context, it would be like you know, a missionary from overseas who's come to Australia, and we don't know them from a bar of soap. They're a complete stranger to us, but because they are a brother or sister in Christ, we can show hospitality in that space. Look at what John says in this. He says, Dear friend, 
You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans, that's the unbelievers, and we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. So just three examples, and there's a lot more. So we've got hospitality shown by people who have nothing to do with Christianity, are not doing it because Jesus instructed them to, but it's something about the human condition that says, I can welcome and I can love and I can look after the stranger. We have Paul saying it's really intentional to do it to the fellow believers, but also to the stranger, the outsider. And then we're having a picture here where John's talking about how we can do this for those we don't know who are in the faith, we don't do life with them, but we can support them and encourage them in the overall kingdom work that's going on. Now the reason that hospitality is not a minor biblical theme is because it actually flows from the very character of God. God is a hospitable God. We are to love the stranger, the outsider, because we have been loved by God when we were the stranger or the outsider. Now, you may not think of yourself that way, but the Bible's very clear on our situation before God. In Jesus, we are, you and I, are the enemy to God that was loved, you and I are the sinner that was saved. You and I are the stranger that was welcomed. Now in Romans 5 verse 8, a very popular verse, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were separated from God and wanted nothing to do with us, he died for us. God is the architect of hospitality. And so as followers of Jesus, it makes sense that we follow Jesus in such a way that we are becoming more like the character and nature of God. And God is a God for the outsider. Read the Gospels. Read the people that Jesus encountered. Read the stories of the people that Jesus spent time with and stopped and conversed with and healed and helped. They were not the insiders. They were not the religious elite. They were not those who looked like they had it all together. If we're going to be true followers of Jesus, we need to follow Jesus in the way he welcomed and drew near to the outsider. Now, I don't even like the language outsider. I don't really like the language stranger. I don't really like some of those words because it really paints this picture of us and them. Now, there is some distinction there between those who are in relationship with God and those who aren't. And I'll use the word outsider this morning just to bring this picture, but I don't like it because it paints this, it can set us up to think we are better than the others. We are the insiders, they are the outsiders. And the point I just made, we need to hang on to. We were the ones far from God. We were the sinner, we were the broken, we were all that, but God stepped in through his grace, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul writes to the Ephesians, look at this passage. He says, don't forget that you used to be outsiders. 
In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That is true for every one of us. But now you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. There's the spiritual reality of the position that many of us find ourselves in who are in relationship with God. If you're sitting here this morning and you are not yet a follower of Jesus and you have not yet decided that you want to give your life to to being in relationship with God through Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit and you're still working this out and you're not sure what it's about, this is a picture of the reality of our situation, that we are separated from God naturally. Matt Chandler says this about this point. He says, in every work environment, every neighbourhood, there are people who, for whatever reason, are kind of outsiders. These men and women are all around you, perhaps more so than ever in our globalised world. Because of the way sin affects us, we tend to run away from differences and from being around people who think differently and look differently than we do. But I want to lay this before you. Jesus Christ would have moved towards these people. God extends radical hospitality to me and you. We love the outsider because we were the outsider. There's some, gee, there's a challenge in that. Jesus would have moved towards the people that you and I naturally move away from. Now, I don't know about you, but I can stand here honestly and say there are people I naturally move away from. I wish I didn't. In every work environment, every neighbourhood, I just want you to bring some people to mind that are in your world. People that you know you rub shoulders with in some way, shape or form that you intentionally try to avoid because they're hard work. Because they think you're stupid for having a Christian faith. Because they believe something different to you because they behave differently to you. We've all got them. We've all got those people in our world. Maybe we are those people to someone. Seriously. We never stop and think that way. (laughs) But there's this idea that showing love to those who are different to us brings about life change, not only in, in them, but in us. When we choose to love somebody, we are choosing to follow Jesus. There's the fingerprints of God over that sort of interaction. What does that practically look like? There's a whole passage at the end of Matthew's Gospel that you may be familiar with and it's talking about the end, sort of the end and the judgment of all things and, and Jesus used this analogy of gathering the people like sheep and goats and then separating the sheep from the goats. 
You may be familiar with this, and it won't be on the screen, but in Matthew 25, he talks about this, and, and Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink, and I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the people on his right, the sheep, will say, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we ever see you as a stranger and show you hospitality? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. John, in one of his letters, I think it's one John, talks about we cannot say we love God who we cannot see if we do not love the very people in front of us who we can see. This is not an optional extra for us. This is the kind of life we have been invited into. It's confronting. And that parable goes on and he says to those who are on his left, the, the goats, you know, all these opportunities to look after someone were there and you didn't do them. They're saying, but when did we see you? When did we see you hungry or naked or sick or thirsty? When did we do that? And he says, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of my brothers or sisters, you were refusing to help me. Man, that's confronting. I don't know what you're thinking as you're sitting there right now. But as I was putting this together, I'm going, man, I am a pathetic wretch. Man, this just set, this sets a bar on how to do life with people. And it sets the bar in such a way that Jesus talked about in that passage I first used. I want to just walk through this a little bit. You are the salt of the earth. Not you will be, you might be, if you're good enough you, you could get there. You are the salt of the earth. And I've got three different translations up here just to get a little picture of, of the nuances of what's being said here. You are the salt of the earth. In the message, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Man, there's a fair bit writing on this. You are the salt of the earth. then he goes on, you are the light of the world. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. How public do we go with our faith and our followership of Jesus? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We have bought into a lie in the Christian church that our relationship with Jesus is a privatised matter. It's a personal, private matter. 
Because if we think that, we will never speak about it, never share it, never do anything that might expose it. We've got to be careful. That is not what we're called to be lights like a city on a hill. That's not a private matter. Flying home from Brisbane a couple of weeks ago at night and you're just looking out into the blackness but then all of a sudden you see these pockets of lights. Little country towns that you're flying over and they stand out like the proverbial. (laughs) They stand out like lights in a dark place. That's how they stand out. Good save. But then you fly into Sydney. Actually, I, I could see the central coast. I don't know what fly path we're on, but I, I remember looking out and I'm going, that is the central coast. And you could see the lights from Carryong. You could sort of see Gosford. And then you could see the orange lights that ring around on Evoca Drive around Greenpoint. You could see them from the air. And then you see Sydney. You can't hide that sucker. It's big and spread out. You are the light of the world. What about this third one? It's TPT, it's the Passion Translation. It says, your lives light up the world. I don't know how many of us think like that. That your life, your presence in your workplace, your presence in your university or your school is like a light lighting up that place. Too many of us want to hide our lights. We don't want to bring any attention to ourselves. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to say anything that might be controversial. We don't want to get into an argument. We're not confident about defending our faith because there's somebody who seems to know a lot more about how atheism is the way and not Christianity, and so we we try to dim our light as much as we can. It's not the way we're called to live. Why I think it's important for us to meet together as the body is because we can encourage one another to be the light and the salt that we've been called to be. I really like the idea of meeting together so that we can sit around the word of God, we can unite as we bring praise to God, we can have conversation with one another and that encouragement in that place allows us to go into our work week, into our school week, into our normal week, whatever that looks like and continue to be the salt and the light in the place that God's called us to. It continues on. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, it's placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop or on a light stand, shine. I am putting you somewhere, God is saying to us. Where has he placed you? Where do you find you spend most of your time during the week? It could be in the home with your young kids. What a great place to shine the love of God as these kids are being formed in their character and their nature. It can be in a workplace. It can be in a university, in a school, in a classroom. 
whatever that looks like, where you've been placed, shine. Who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? It's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. Everyone in the house can benefit from its light. There's this sense as we look through these that God will make us salt and light. He's called us to be that. And there's the echoes in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is calling his disciples and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not follow me and you've got your ticket to heaven. Not follow me and life will be cruisy and comfortable for you. Not follow me and you can just keep doing whatever you've been doing and nothing will change. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that analogy, that, that picture of fishers of men ties beautifully into I will make you salt of the earth and I will make you light. And why does he do this? Well, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that people will think you're just an awesome guy. People will praise you and flock to you and want to be in your presence. No, no, no. In the same way, let your good deeds shine so that God will be praised. I love how Jesus just takes the focus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's always about him. And when he empowers us through his indwelling Holy Spirit to live the life that he's called us to live, he gets praised for it. It really is a good system. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. That verse, Kev said it last week, that is going to stick as a bit of a theme for us this year. Keep open house. Be generous with your life, your time, your energy, your talents, your presence, your finances, your whatever it is. Be generous with that. Why? So that God will be praised when people are seeing what God's doing in you and through you. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things you do will shine as a light upon them and then they will praise your Father in heaven. It really is a great picture. So this won't happen just through wishful thinking. I figured that out. You probably figured that out. We can't listen to this this morning, go home, do nothing different and expect it to change. I hope you're aware of that. It's going to take some intention and some strategy. Strategic hospitality asks a couple of questions. Think about this. How can I, how can you, 
how can we draw people into a deeper experience of God by showing hospitality? Who could you do that with? How could we do that? And who could we do that with? Even out of our own home. Even on the carriage you commute to Sydney on every morning. Not the quiet carriage though. Don't do it on that. Actually do it on that. See how that goes. (laughs) Who are the people that came to mind a little bit earlier? Who are the people that came to mind that you could intentionally connect with and have some strategy and some thought around it so that they are exposed to the reality of the kingdom of God? Who are those people? Strategic hospitality takes effort and thought. It's not about just having the same group of people over for dinner again because it's comfortable, because it's easy. And you know you'll get a return invite. So there'll be something that comes back your way. Who are the people that come to mind that you can be strategic and intentional about inviting into your space and then just simply be you? It's not hard, Helen just said. It's not hard. And you're right, it's not hard, but it's hard. (laughs) When we're not used to practicing that, it's hard to do that initial invitation. To get over the fact that your house does not have to be spotless like it's from a magazine. If you're worried about that, meet someone at the beach for a picnic. But be intentional about being in the same space with people. Don't underestimate the power of your home. Don't underestimate the power of an invitation. Don't underestimate the power of simply being present with someone. Because when we step into this, because we are saying we want to follow Jesus. When we step into this, we will find that God will use the little bit that we can give and he will do something in that space. It's not about us to convert anyone. It's not about us to to do anything that changes someone's mind. We just have to be genuinely ourselves and allow the spirit of God that is in us to shine through our conversation, our responses, our actions, the way we listen, the way we care for, the way we offer hospitality. We just have to allow that to naturally happen and trust that the Holy Spirit is already working in that person's life. We are just providing the atmosphere for God to be at work. We can do that. And if you're scared about it, grab someone else you know and do it together. 
if you're not sure what it could look like for you, have the courage just to try something. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it was a complete flop, great. You know something that doesn't work. You can go better the next time. We are salt and light. It's not an optional extra. That is who God calls us to be. What are we doing with it? Let me pray for us. So Father God, I thank you that you love us so much, you don't leave us the way you found us. But you choose to use people like us to build your kingdom and to build your church. You choose to draw close to us in such a way that that when we respond to who you truly are, you implant your very self into us through your spirit. And it's that spirit that's transforming us to become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. That it's the character and nature of Jesus Christ living in us and through us that people will see. And it takes the pressure off because it's not about us having to do everything or get it right or, or be the smartest or the prettiest or the most intelligent, whatever. It's not about that. Bring to you and saying, would you live in us and through us so that others may come to know you? God, as a church, would you do something in us in this place? Church, would you give us courage to step into something that maybe we have not considered before would you give us the courage to do this with one another and support one another on the journey but ultimately God we just want to pray would you use us for your mission for your purpose for your kingdom we want to be a people we want to be a church where we can honestly say if we were not here, the people in our community would notice and would be worse off for it. We pray you'll do something in that space. Amen.